right, we're back, folks. We're here uh, at the Crossroads of the West Gun Show over here at State 48 Plates. Our very special guest, Mr. Mark Victor here, is going to hang out with us for a little bit and do some chatting with us. Yeah, man, whatever you want to talk about. I I'm love excited, being yeah. here at the gun show and uh, lots of cool stuff to talk about gun-related. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Especially during these times, right? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a really a great, it's the best time ever to discuss Second Amendment issues. I mean, oh, the Supreme yeah. Court is as pro-Second Amendment as we have ever had, I think, in the history of our nation. That is true. Yeah? Very true, yeah. And so uh, this is why, you know, I think that a lot of people are uh, really concerned about gun rights. And, uh, you know, I am too as a freedom guy, but I'm less concerned about Second Amendment stuff than I am about other stuff oh, right yeah. now. Because the Second yeah. Amendment is probably safer at the moment, notwithstanding all of the crowd on the left that's trying to do everything they can to ban guns, I still think we're in good shape. Yeah, I, I agree with you yeah. on that. I, I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? When they, when they say that, you always hear that narrative that oh, we're going to come to your door collecting guns. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, it's just not Never. possible, right? I mean, Well, I don't want to say nothing's po you know, it's not possible because I don't think we should take our freedoms for granted. Anything's not. possible. But with the current makeup of the United States Supreme Court, not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and I know, you know, we live out in Santan Valley, which is Pinell County, yep. and we've talked to my wife and I are part of the sheriff's posse. And, you know, we this this topic came up before and they said, you know, for them, first of all, they wouldn't have the manpower to do something like that. And then there's too many people that have firearms for that to really happen. So, well, you know, I mean. I can think of a path, right, of how this could happen. And, I, and I'm glad that, you know, we're talking about this because I think that probably the most dangerous thing going on in our nation right now, the biggest threat to liberty that I think would destroy our country probably faster than anything else is the talk of expanding the Supreme Court right now, mm. this court packing scheme. And um, because, like I said, with the current Supreme Court, we got nine members. Six of them are very solid Second Amendment. Yep. But if you throw on another four or five justices, and, but it's not just that. It's the idea that for political reasons, one party would throw on more justices. We'd have 200 Supreme Court justices right. by the time we get done. This would destroy the Supreme Court. This has been done in history. Roosevelt did this to get the New Deal through. He didn't actually have to put more justices on the court. And this is what's confusing to people. It was this court-packing scheme where he threatened to do this. Okay. But in 37, in a case called West Coast Hotel versus Parish. Hey, brother, good to see you. Um, the Supreme Court completely changed how they did business. And this is what, in my opinion, one of the two major things that increased the size of the federal government, that brought us all this tremendous overreach from the federal government. It was that case. It got us something called levels of scrutiny. And uh, it, it basically allowed states in the federal government to do anything they want in the area of property rights or economic liberties which almost don't exist in this country. Right. So that's how powerful the idea of throwing more justices on the court, that President Biden is even talking about this, should be an outrage for so many people, and shame on him for even thinking about proposing this. Right, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you think it, is it a possibility that it could happen, well, you think? Well, look, I if mean... I could go back and speak to the framers of the United States Constitution <laughs> and say, guys, look, I got one suggestion. Limit the number of justices on the court to nine. Amen to that. You take away, like, this could have changed, radically changed our nation because FDR's New Deal was being struck down. Right. And but for his threat to pack the court, 
The court maybe doesn't buckle and do the things it did in 37 that gives rise to all this crazy ex government expansion that we've had since then. So this was, in my opinion, one of the biggest mistakes that the founders of our constitution, the framers of the constitution made by not limiting and fixing the number of justices at nine. You could do it at seven, you could do it at five, but you gotta fix the number right. so it, the next president can't just say, you know, I don't like the court, I'm gonna throw on a bunch more justices. A yeah. huge problem with our Constitution. Yeah, 100%, I agree in with fact, that. In fact, I support and have drafted a constitutional amendment that would fix the number of justices at nine. It's part of what we're doing with the Live and Let Live global peace movement. And so just to throw that out for your people who are paying attention to this podcast, there's a global peace movement right now. It's called the Live and Let Live Global Peace Movement. If you're really, really a pro-freedom person, right. check out liveandletlive.org. Join that movement because there is a movement going on in the world right now that is an, a way to get people who feel differently about freedom or how to live, maybe have different morality, different cultures, whatever, we could still live together with our highest level of freedom, peace, and prosperity. Hey, and what do you? Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, we have a question from the audience. Excellent. Question from the audience. Not really from the audience, but from Eddie. Um, how do you feel about body armor being taken away or not being able to be worn or bought by felons? Well, I I think in order for or by anybody. Yeah. See, I if again to go back to live and let live. We have a legal principle, and it, we title the legal principle, don't aggress. So if you're aggressing against somebody else, and we define aggression, by the way, as initiating non-consensual force against another person or their property, engaging in fraud, engaging in coercion, or creating a substantial threat of initiating non-consensual force against another person, other property. That's aggression. Right. If you're doing that, you should be shut down. If you're not doing that, you should be left alone. Okay, so with that as a sort of foundation, when somebody wears body armor, they're not aggressing. That is not an aggression. Therefore, when the government passes a law or rule or regulation that says anybody can't wear body armor, even a convicted felon, in my view, they're overstepping their legitimate authority. Because right. really what they're doing is they're becoming the aggressor, right? If you, you say you're a felon and you put body armor on and somebody says you can't do that, and now they're going to take you and pull you to jail or pull the bar. They're being they're, an aggressor. They're aggressor yeah. You're not aggressing. You're standing there with body armor on and somebody has charged you with a crime, which is to say take you to jail, put you in jail, make you take the body armor off. That person is being an aggressor. So whoever's aggressing, whether it's a person or a person wearing a badge makes no difference to us. Right. The government should be held exactly the same standard as individuals. And, and who who's to determine how you protect yourself? Everybody has their own thought on how they protect themselves, right? I mean, yeah, so... that's right. I mean, I can imagine some scenarios where somebody is protecting themselves in a way that gets them in the aggression box. Like, for example. See, that yeah, I mean, imagine somebody who has a mental health issue, and this person says, I want to have an AR at my house. And, and they think sometimes people are from the lizard planet trying to attack. Right. Okay, you have right. a mental health issue. Right. So this person with a firearm in their hand is a substantial risk to another person. Like We right. could say the same about dangerous felons. Not any felon. Your felony might be something completely unrelated to right. violence. Right. But if you've got a violent felon, like you've already had a gun in your hand that say you've shot somebody, 
in in a way that makes you the aggressor. I think we can have concerns about that person yeah, having a I firearm. Agree. I think I we got to be realistic about Second Amendment rights, right? If you're not if you're not presenting a danger to another person, you're not aggressing. You should be allowed to do whatever the heck you want to do. If you are presenting a substantial risk to other people, well, then we have a problem. That's what you don't get to do. You don't get to interfere with how other people peacefully live their lives. That's what America was supposed to be about. Yep. That's where you draw the line. If right. you draw the line past that point, you're enforcing your morality on somebody else. And we all got different ideas about morality. We need to get morality out of the law. Morality is important, don't get me wrong. Right, right. We have a moral principle with live and let live. We, we describe it with the phrase, be an excellent human. And we want to encourage people to act with high character and to engage in win-win deals and be open-minded and bring the best versions of themselves to the table. But they don't have to do this. Right. This is, a, this is optional. You can be a jerk, just don't aggress. Right, right. 100%. I like that. <laughs> um, well, that's what Living That Live is about. So check it out and join the movement. Be part of the solution. And what was that website again? Liveandletlive.org. Live live, live. Okay. Liveandletlive.org. Go check it out. Man, you just got a lot of questions today. <laughs> I love questions. So we have a question. If a dog is mauling a child or an adult, are you allowed to shoot that dog? Absolutely. That's an easy one. Um, some people get into these areas where one dog is attacking another dog or dog is attacking property. Okay, dog is considered property under the law. But if a dog is attacking an infant, I'm assuming with that question what we have is an imminent risk of death or serious physical injury. You always get to defend a third party. You don't have to be the parent. You can just be someone who's a bystander. If you see a dog and that dog is mauling some uh, innocent child or something, look, you don't ever get to use more force than is necessary, right? If right. it's a chihuahua, you go over there and you kick the thing. You, you, you pull out your AR and you start blasting it. Okay, maybe you're using more force. You might be using more force than is reasonably necessary. And, and that's that's a part of a self-defense analysis, right? right? You never get you only get to use the minimum amount of force that is reasonably necessary to stop that threat. And so depending on what that is, yes, you can do it, but you can never use more force than is necessary. Right, right. Well, same, same issue. Same issue is some man is now beating a child. Now, he might say, look, uh, I'm the dad. I'm engaging in reasonable discipline right. here. And you are allowed to use oh, corporal punishment, if right. you will, in yeah. Arizona. If it's... Okay, well, the question is always going to... I should repeat the question. The question is now, what if the dog, instead of attacking an infant, is attacking a big, strong, 200-pound, you know, strong, muscular guy? Well, then you're back in the question of whether or not you have an imminent risk of okay. death or serious physical injury. If it's death or serious physical injury, then you get to use deadly physical force. If it's only ordinary physical injury, say the dog is biting somebody, yeah, he's biting your ankle, uh, this isn't a risk of death or serious right, physical injury, right. but you can still use physical force to stop an ordinary physical injury. Right. And these are the kinds of things we lawyers argue about in court, right? <laughs> this is what we're trying to convince the guy. Well, he didn't really use that. Right, he only used ordinary physical bad. force. And, you know, people, I think, sometimes don't realize hey, the, the lines between these things aren't so clear. 
What if somebody right is attacking your dog, like physically hitting them with a stick or a bat or something, are you allowed to shoot them? Okay, so okay. the question is one dog is attacking another dog, and just for no, fun. A man is attacking your dog. Oh, a man is attacking. Well, well I see. Yeah. Well, actually, the analysis is the same. Whether a, a person is attacking a dog or another dog is attacking a dog, the dog is property. Okay, that's the status under yes. the law. Okay. So now you're protecting property. Your property. And you never get to use deadly physical force to protect property. So we get cases in sometimes where somebody uses a firearm to stop somebody, be it a person or another dog, from attacking their dog. Let's just say it's a threat on the life of the dog, right? Yeah. It's still, you're protecting property. Now, when somebody, when, the, when they use that deadly physical force and the police come and they don't follow my advice and they open their mouth and the cop says, why did you fire against that dog or that person? Well, he was attacking my dog. You're going to wind up going to prison there. But if you follow my advice and you keep your mouth shut and then you talk to me, maybe we have now an argument that it wasn't just a matter of this person was attacking the dog or the dog was attacking the dog there was a threat to your life as right. well because it's not it's, sometimes it's not so clear just because one dog is attacking another dog you might have shot the dog because the dog posed a risk to you or another person there now you're in a different situation right, right? so how you know it's the same thing when we say in self-defense world you never get to use self-defense in response to Words alone. Right. Words right. alone. Mere words never get you self-defense. But, you know, so, like, so if you used, you punch somebody in the face because they said something and the police come and you open your mouth and why did you punch the guy? Well, he said some horrible thing to me. Okay, you're, you're going to lose. Right. But if you say, why did you punch the guy? Well, because he said some horrible things to me. And while he was saying that, he had his fists like this and he was walking towards me. Okay. Now we got something different. Right. This is, again, another example of keep your mouth shut. Yep. Let's talk about the case first. Because, you know, you might really have felt that risk to yourself. Yep. And you didn't just you didn't say that. Right. When you were asked the question, why did you punch? Well, he said something horrible about my religion, my sports team, my wife, my something, my mom. And that's why I punched him. That statement right there is going to buy you a criminal yeah, conviction. Yep. yep, 100%. I want to switch gears real quick to um, home defense. Now, you know, Arizona is made up of a, a kind of a melting pot from different states. People come to different states. Some, some yep. people don't have the gun rights that we have here in Arizona. That's you know, right. um, So if somebody comes here, the question always comes up, if somebody breaks into my house, you know, what advice would you give to people if you had a scenario like that? Because as we know, crime is on the rise and home invasions are happening more and more frequently. So what, what would be your best top five pieces of advice for homeowners? Well, I just gave a talk with my top five most important pieces of advice. Okay. Yes, and so that people can find that on our firm website, which is just attorneysforfreedom.com. Okay. There'll be a talk there on our YouTube channel that I entitled The Five Most Important Things Responsible Gun Owners Need to Know. And it's a function of my 30 years of experience defending people in criminal cases. Okay, so your question. Somebody breaks in your home, what's your advice? Man, too broad a question. Okay. Right? It depends. <laughs> who's breaking in your house? Is right. it the Girl Scout who's bringing the, the Thin Mints because your order came in? She might, you know, be coming in the house to drop those up. Is it a guy with the bad intent? Does he have a gun? Is he bigger than you? Uh, there's so many questions that you got to deal with. So I would say it like this. As a touchstone, always use 
You need an imminent threat of death or serious physical injury if you are intending to use or threaten deadly physical force. Now, there's some exceptions around the edges, right? We have 13411 in Arizona, which is the crime prevention statute. And this is, again, why I tell people, don't just, like a parrot, repeat advice. Oh, I shot because I was in fear for my life. Because 13411, for example, provides a different reason to shoot another human being. Why did you shoot? I shot because this person was committing uh, you know, a home invasion, an armed robbery, something like that. And, it, and I needed to shoot him to stop him from committing that particular crime. That's a different justification. Also, uh, like we just used in another example, you might shoot another person to protect a third party. Right. So if you say, I shot because I was in fear for my life, you just put a legal theory out there that I'm stuck with now. Right. And really, I do this stuff because I want people to make my job easier. Right, right. That's what we're doing. Test the, don't test the limits of my skills when I'm defending you in a criminal case. Right. Now, sometimes we get there, right? We got to really put our creative thinking caps on. And at our firm, you get five criminal defense lawyers for every case. So we sit around and brainstorm, and we'll almost always come up with some way to defend the case. Um, if not, then we, we present it in the best light possible and get the best plea possible and get the person out of the situation. Because right. not every shoot's a good shoot. You know, I had a discussion with Mossad Ayub on whether to talk to the police. Mossad takes the position that you should talk to the police after a shoot. I take the position that you shouldn't. And, you know, people can watch this debate. It's on our, uh, on our YouTube channel, attorneysforfreedom.com. But what I finally got Mossad to say is Mossad is assuming that we got a good shoot. Right. He assumes that. He says, look, I train people, and I, f I assume they're following my training, and they're in a good shoot. I think that's a very big assumption. Mm -hmm. After a shoot, you don't know whether you're in a good shoot. And again, what's a good shoot? I mean, if you really want to get down to the definition of what a good shoot is, a good shoot is one where a randomly selected group of people from the local community listens to all the evidence, and they decide that what you did was reasonable. Right. I don't want to trust my freedom to that group <laughs> right. of people. Yeah. I mean, there are people who think... Uh, you know, there are people who are excited that Joe Biden is the president and hope maybe he'll pass early so we get Kamala as president. Okay, they think that's reasonable. Like, do you want this person on your jury making a decision about whether you acted reasonably? So the best advice really at the end of the day, and, and this is regarding regardless of whether you're in a state where you have a duty to retreat or not. If you can safely avoid the situation, by all means, avoid the situation. Because yep. the good guys don't always win. Right. And, and and it's always the worst case scenario, right? I mean, it's always three o'clock in the morning. Somebody's beating down your door, coming in your house. And that's the worst possible scenario because you're you're woken out of a dead sleep. You know, so, you bring up a great point. You don't get to decide when a self-defense incident arises. Right. Would it be nice if you say, OK, now I'm ready. I've had my training. I'm in a good <laughs> spot. I am in a clear headed state of mind. Now I'm ready for a defensive shoot. Okay, that's not how life works. Right. You might have had some drinks. You might be in the middle of a deep sleep. You might be upset. Maybe you just got into a big fight with your spouse or your kid or something. Who knows? You might not be in a good state of mind. You don't get to pick it. And so I think it's a mistake to think that anytime you're in a shoot or a self-defense incident arises, you're going to be on the right side of that. This is why, by the way, and I just put a little plug in for our Attorneys on Retainer program. You can find out everything you need to know about this from attorneysonretainer.us. Attorneysonretainer.us. We're the, old, to my knowledge, we're the only company that's a law firm that's offering 
a self-defense incident kind of protection here. That's awesome. These That's other awesome. companies are insurance-based programs, right. which sound good, but the problem is insurance companies can't cover criminal acts. Right. Now, what they'll say is, if you ask them, they'll say, well, it's not a criminal act yet because you acted in self-defense, un unless and until you actually take a plea, like, by the way, 95 percent plus of the people in the system do then you lose all your coverage so it's like okay you may have had great civil defense coverage maybe you get appeals and other things but if you pled guilty and you lose your coverage and by the way some of these companies say you got to pay back the money that they spend you can avoid all of that by using a law firm that doesn't have a restriction for defending people who actually were involved in criminal acts because you know when you think about it if you're involved in a good shoot you're probably not going to be charged. I mean, there are some high-profile cases where you might get charged, but that's high-profile. I've right. done a lot of high-profile cases. Those are different. In the routine case, if you do something that that prosecutor looks at with their experts, as this guy's justified, you don't need any of these companies because you're not going to be charged. Now, with us, you still get help. We'll defend you as a victim in the case, right? There's a bad guy. You were involved in a good shoot. We try right. to get them charged. We'll show up at the change of police, show up at the sentencing. We'll deal with the press if there's press involved. But it's the bad shoot where you need help. Right. Imagine you're involved in a bad shoot. It really is a bad shoot. They, these other companies look at it and they say, geez, this isn't an It's a bad shoot. Yeah. Okay, you're, you're not going to be covered. They all exclude criminal acts. You lie. So just when you need help the most, you screwed up, you made a mistake. Yep. Your SOL with a lot of these other companies. And then there's the questionable shoot. You know, the shoot where you say, well, maybe it's a good shoot. Maybe it's, maybe not. it's not. And there are very good people in some of these other companies. I certainly don't want to disparage the other companies that are competing with us here. And the best of those are going to say, okay, fine. We'll, we'll pay for a lawyer. We'll do this. We'll do that. Up until the time when you take a deal. Yeah. And, and in a case with a gun, you're looking at almost always a mandatory minimum sentence. Your lawyer's never going to tell you 100% guarantee we're going to win a trial. You're always going to have a lot of risk to go to trial if you can get out of that case with a good plea. And again, it's always the client's decision, but I've been doing this 30 years. Clients don't want to risk 10 plus years in prison in their life. You can get out with a misdemeanor. You can get out with probation, depending on the facts. You're going to take that. And if you do, you just lost your coverage with these insurance-based co I mean, what if you get sued civilly now? Right, yeah, they may have nothing. had a great program, but you just took a deal. You lost your coverage. Yep. This is why we offer complete defense on the criminal case all the way through jury trial. We offer complete coverage and defense on the civil case if you get sued, even if you took a deal, even if you went to trial and you got convicted. No problem with our firm. And then there's all the exclusions. It's like there's a parade of exclusions. You were drinking. You're in a place where guns are prohibited. You right. got an illegal weapon. It's domestic violence. Yeah. I have two questions now. I only had one, and now I brought up another one. So what if? Because I know you're not supposed to take like firearm in any gun in any bar or anything, anything like that. So what if I'm at home, smashed, and I'm at home, go to bed. Somebody breaks into my house at two in the morning. Still probably drunk. Let's be real. <laughs> How does that go? Well, um, this is what I was getting to before. So many of these other companies have all these exclusions. They say, even if it's a good shoot, ah, sorry, you were drinking alcohol, or sorry, it was domestic violence, or sorry, no guns were allowed, or you're a prohibited possessor, or it's an illegal weapon, or any of these countless exclusions. We have none of those. In fact, in our 
contract. It says, here are things that are not excluded. And we specifically list, you were drinking, you have drugs or alcohol in your system. We don't care about that. We're a law firm. I got lawyers who like to try cases and like to defend people. We're happy to do Like We're waiting for that opportunity. We're not trying to get out of it. Right. We want to represent people. This is why so many people now are switching from the insurance-based companies to attorneys on retainer because we're a law firm. And if you need a lawyer, it's good to have a law firm, yeah. not an insurance company. And we'll put links to that on our show, oh, excellent. too. So, yeah, yeah, please. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because people need help, you know, so. <laughs> okay, what was your, what was your yeah. second question? Ah, that's a very interesting question. Well, it depends on the case, right? So much depends on the facts. Um, look, if you ha if you are authorized under the law to use deadly physical force, you have a right to kill a person. Um, some people will point out that uh, dead people don't make witnesses who come into trial and testify against right. you. That's true. But um, if you had an opportunity to not kill another human being and you can successfully defend yourself there, that's what the prosecutor is going to argue the law requires. So if you can use something just short of killing a person, in other words, maybe you can pull out the firearm and, and say, hey, I got maybe even first, I just I want to tell you I got a gun. If that gets the job done, that's fine. If you can then say, look, I got a gun. If you pull it out, aiming it up or aiming it away, say, leave me alone, I got a gun. I always recommend back up while you're doing that. So anyways, at our firm, we comment on a lot of different videos. And there's one we're going to be commenting on. I think it happened in Texas. It was a domestic violence dispute. And this guy's there and he's yelling at this female. And the female's husband or boyfriend goes in the house and grabs a shotgun and comes out with the shotgun. And he's not pointing it at anybody. He's right. pointing it, I think, down. And... The guy who's upset comes right up to him, gets right in his face, says, I'm going to take that shotgun away from you and do this and do that. And he's, he gets in his face and he pushes him. And the guy, to his credit, still keeps the shotgun. He backs up. He keeps the shotgun. He doesn't look like he's looking for trouble. Right. And then right. the guy tries to grab the shotgun and he spins him a little bit. And the guy keeps his shotgun. He's a few feet away and he shoots the guy point blank and kills him right there. It was, I think we're going to wind up saying this is, a, this is a tough one because it looked to me like maybe he didn't have to shoot this guy. But in Texas, they made the decision not to charge him. And I think that what tipped the scale here is the fact that it looked like he was doing everything he could do to not have not to shoot, shoot this him. guy. Yeah. He was keeping the gun down. He was backing up. He was trying to keep a distance. And at some point, after the guy tries to grab his shotgun away from him, that's when he blasts him. Still a close call. But I think that those are the kinds of things we're looking for in the legal system. Is this guy trying to be an aggressor or is he trying to do everything to avoid the problem? And I think at that point, he's almost defending himself, though, just because if God forbid he would have got that gun away from him, no who question. knows if he would have turned yeah, around and, and I, shot him. And I think that's ultimately why the prosecutor declined the charges there. And right. I think it probably makes sense. Uh, on the other hand, if there's a way to avoid killing somebody... I think the most prosecutors are going to interpret the law saying you need to do that. I uh, re recently released a video on the range case. It's called, uh, I forget the first party, but it was range. I think it's either out of the third or fifth circuit. And it was an interesting question of applying the Bruin test to the question of whether someone who is a fe convicted felon can be deprived of a firearm. Right. And I covered Bruin. I covered Heller and some other cases. And so people are interested in that. They should go to the YouTube page for Attorneys for Freedom and just search, or you could even go to Google and search Mark Victor, M-A-R-C, 
V-I-C-T-O-R, in range case, and it'll come right up. And I think it's a pretty good overview of the current state of the Second Amendment, including the Bruin test, which there's a lot to talk about there. Okay, cool. We'll put that up, too. We'll put a link to that. So, Oh, good. For sure. So, back before the announcement, I was thinking, we live in a society now, and what, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I think we've become very desensitized in a way to violence. But there's another aspect of it. You, you talk about what's a clean shoot or what's a bad shoot. Really, any shoot's a bad shoot because there, there's a mental, there's a um, emotional and mental re, um, repercussion for killing somebody, right? I mean, no I think question. that's what a lot of people don't realize. It, it It's a whole different feeling when you actually do <laughs> kill somebody. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I think you make a good point here. If you, even imagining you were in a self-defense shoot, you discharge your firearm, and everybody agrees it was a good shoot, it's still a bad thing that right. happens, right? It's going to affect you. In fact, this is one of the things we're doing with Attorneys on Retainer. We are, um, for people involved in these kind of incidents, we're spending some money to try to get them psychological counseling because we recognize chances are high. If you're involved in that kind of an incident, it's going to have an effect on you. Mm -hmm. And I get to see people after they're involved in these shoots. And I, I said today in my talk, oftentimes their hands are going like this. They're just shaking because yeah. they're so free. Even the next day, they're still freaked out about it. So, again, the best advice really is to be prepared be educated about the law, but avoid the problem if you can. Even if you're in a state like Arizona where there is no duty to retreat, if you can retreat and avoid the situation, even if your friends are going to say, ah, he's a wimp, he wimped out or whatever, do that rather than being actually involved in a shoot because sometimes the bad guys win as well. Yep. And yep. sometimes people get charged wrongfully and sometimes people get convicted wrongfully. Best to avoid the whole situation and, and live to, I should say, live and free another day. Yep, 100%. Well, Mark, I appreciate your time, man. I know you're busy. Um, it's been great. Have, it's been great being on your show and you. the questions were awesome. I'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll... we hear that you're in Chandler. Yeah. Our so firm is in Chandler. We're in It's definitely something we can do sometime. Yeah, yeah. yeah it'd be fun to talk. There's so much to talk about, even the Live and Let Live project, because that to me is the most important pro-freedom project going on in the entire world. We have people in lots of different countries all over the world. They're really excited about the phrase Live and Let Live, the philosophy Live and Let Live that we've sort of created. And these people are very serious about trying to change the world. I love that. And also the Attorneys on Retainer program. I mean, we're killing it right now. People from all of these other programs, mostly insurance-based programs, are thinking, you know, I think I'd actually rather have a law firm when I need a lawyer than an insurance company when yep. I need a lawyer. So that's making sense <laughs> to a lot of people, yeah. especially the more they learn about our law firm. We're not just another law firm. And I encourage people to check out attorneysforfreedom.com. We're hardcore, pro-freedom, no compromise on all issues, not just guns. Uh, you know, guns, of course, are a big part of the discussion, but it's not the only part of the right. discussion. I, and I sometimes talk to the gun community about being pro-freedom on other issues as well, right? And you, maybe you're not a pot smoker. That's no less important of a freedom issue. To the, not, to the pot smokers, I tell them about the gun rights issues. Right, right. You might not like guns. You might not have guns. But the right of a responsible, competent adult to keep and bear arms, even if it's not a right that you yourself participate in, we should defend them equally, right? I'm a very not gay person, but I defend the rights of people to be gay right. just as ferociously. I mean, that you're a pot smoker and that you're for legalizing weed or that you're a gun guy in favor of gun rights or you're a gay guy in favor of gun rights shouldn't matter. 
It should be the same as to all issues. Right. And our firm is about that. That's why we're called the Attorneys for Freedom. It's not just a slick name. Every single lawyer at my firm is pro-freedom. And many of the paralegals, people who are here today, they joined my firm because freedom is more important to them than money. Amen. 100%. Been a pleasure. Love yeah. to be on your show. Mark Victor, ladies and gentlemen. Thank Thanks you so much. Me. We appreciate it.